Sports. Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Green Bay Packers. This is the Packers Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Packers Wire editor, Zach Cruz. All right, welcome into the program. I'm joined this week by Luke Easterling. He's the editor of the Draft Wire. We're going to be talking some draft, talking some Packers, and of course, later on, we'll be getting to Aaron Rodgers and the Jeopardy thing. We'll get some thoughts on that. Uh, but Luke, we had another big trade this week with Sam Darnold heading over to Carolina. That changes things, obviously, in the first round. There's always a ripple effect. Uh, so just another excuse for you to you know tear up the mock draft and start over again, right? It's a it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing, man. And, uh, you know, I love what I do and it's a darn good thing because when, uh, on a week like this, you saw, I put out two different ones back to back days. I I did one where it was a couple of rounds and no trades. And then obviously now we're getting to the point where you can't really project what's going to happen, especially in the first round, if you're not going to dip into the trade waters. Right. So, uh, we've already had a few, I projected six more in the first round, which I think for the last three or four years, that's been the average basically is that's how many trades we usually see in the first round. Now that's pretty normal. So, uh, you know, quarterbacks drive everything. We've already seen, uh, like we've talked about before, the 49ers have kind of set the table with that. Obviously now that makes the Falcons pick at number four, the next spot. If you want a quarterback to have to get to it's, I I think the fun part is that we actually have quarterback prospects this year that are worth all those spots. I think so. Totally. It it doesn't feel like many of those guys are going to be a reach. So I, I will be here to, uh, to supply the demand for mock drafts at every turn, no matter what happens. Specifically on the Packers, everyone wants to mock a wide receiver to them, Luke, because they just, they'll never go out and get that guy to go opposite. I finally Devontae. gave up on that. Yeah, I've you, been doing it since like May, and yeah. I finally quit. We all want that like, thing. We all want it. Like, we all wanted at the trade deadline last year for them to go out, give Aaron Rodgers that one extra piece that could get you past New Orleans or the Bucks or whoever it was going to be in the NFC Championship No wonder, game. No wonder he, yeah, won, he wants to host Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we will get to that. Uh, <laughs> but so I, I did see that, right? So you're, you've given up on that thing. You've gone. Maybe they'll go with a corner. Maybe they'll go edge, you know, something like that. But uh, we should stop wishing for the Packers to finally address that wide receiver position opposite Devontae Adams because they just don't want to do it. No, I, I don't think so. And I think that if they are going to help Aaron Rodgers at all in the first round, I think it's more likely they go offensive line, um, whether it's a tackle, whether it's a center to replace Corey Lindsley. Um, I think that's more likely, if anything, uh, if they're going to help Rodgers with that pick. But I, I, they do take me as a kind of team that, that likes to spend those early picks on offense. I think that, you know, the reason I went with Greg Newsom from, from Northwestern is we talked about high rising, you know, fast rising prospects earlier. I didn't mention his name, but he's definitely one of those guys that I think over the last month, I've really fallen in love with as a prospect, physical, long arms, got the tall frame, but such great instincts. When you really break down the film on him, he has a great understanding of what opposing receivers are about to do to him before they do it. And he just, the anticipation he has, you can tell he studies film because of the way he reacts and, and stays kind of one step ahead of his receivers. And I think when you combine the, the mental and the physical profile that he has with what the, the, the Packers really like at that position, they did bring Kevin King back, but it's only on a one-year deal. And I don't think they're really thrilled with the way he's played since they took him early. Well, the Bucks were thrilled. <laughs> yeah, they are absolutely thrilled. They, they'd love him to stick around. Yeah. So, But again, it's a guy that has great athleticism. He has great size. He's 6'3". He's got those long arms. But the understanding of the game, the technique, it's, it's just too sloppy. And I think Newsom is kind of the opposite of that. And I think that would be why he'd make a great fit 
there for uh, for the Packers. They go corner. They could go defensive line. Carlos Basham from uh, from Wake Forest, I think, is it would be a great fit for the Packers and what they want their defensive linemen. Um, but yeah, so many different options that I think they'll end up going with. And I, I think if they do take a receiver, it'll it won't be in the first round. Some guys that have got to be moving up your board. I think Kyle Pitts. We don't think he's going to make it out of the top 10 for sure, right? He's moving up. I think if, if Atlanta stays pat at number four, in one of your drafts you had him going to Atlanta at number four. So maybe he won't even make it out of the top five. And it feels like Jamar Chase to Cincinnati makes too much sense. I think offensive line to kind of keep Joey Burrow upright made some sense but early on. But now Jamar Chase reuniting with Burrow, that kind of feels like it's it's going to happen, right? So what do you think about some of these guys that are kind of shooting up your board a little bit? I think Pitts and Chase would definitely qualify. Yeah, I think, you know, Chase kind of reminds me of, of Justin Fields in terms of my rankings because he's somebody I've really never wavered on as far as being the number one receiver in this class. Obviously, he opted out of the college football season, and Don and Devontae Smith had the incredible season he did. So obviously that started this conversation about who would be the number one receiver. I don't think that was ever a competition, in my opinion. I'm, I love Devontae Smith. I think he's a great prospect. I don't think he's the, the player Jamar Chase is. I think they're they're not quite on the same level. I think Jamar Chase is bigger, more physical, you know, more complete player at this point. Um, so he's always been a top five guy for me. I think he solidified that with his pro day. Kyle Pitts is the guy that I've really kind of come around on as being a really unique really rare player that I think deserves a top five pick. When you're talking about a tight end, that's just extremely rare when you're yeah. talking about a guy worthy of that. Unicorn and that's status. because he's really, he's, he's a tight end if you need him to be, but he's really just an offensive weapon, right? I mean, yeah. he, he can block, he can do those things, but really you're putting him out there to be a, a mismatch weapon. And obviously I, I would never compare, you know, I don't like comparing guys to hall of famers. I, I don't, you know, it's not fair, but when you put up their athletic profiles, He's basically Calvin Johnson. I mean, that's that's the kind of athlete at his size that he looks to be on paper and in terms of being timed. And again, he's a guy who actually did it on the field. Florida actually put him in position to do those things, and he did dominate on the outside as a pass catcher in the red zone. We've already seen it happen. NFL teams are going to see that and eat that up because obviously the NFL is a matchup league. So those two guys, I think, definitely – their floor has got to be five, six. I, I don't really even see any of them getting to seven. I think that you could flip-flop them at Cincinnati, Miami, Pitts, Chase, Chase Pitts. I think those two spots make sense for those guys in any order. Another guy that opted out of the college football season is Micah Parsons, but a guy that's really just consistently getting mocked in the top ten. You've kind of held him in there as well. I mean, this is an interesting spot, not just the player, Micah Parsons, but the position, right? That position of inside linebacker, the investment of a top 10 pick in that position. It's a gamble. Let's just put it that way. If you go for it like the Bucks did with Devin White and you hit the home run, you look brilliant, right? But if you whiff on that thing, you could set your team back because that position, guys get injured a lot. A lot it's a high collision type of thing, right? I mean, there's also just a lot of turnover at linebackers. So it is definitely a gamble, but there always seems to be a linebacker, Luke, that goes in the top 10, right? Last year, it was Isaiah Simmons. I think a couple of years ago, it was Devin White and Devin Bush, right? If the Steelers were in the top 10, I think they were. They were around 10. Um, and then two years after that, I think Roquan Smith of the Bears went top 10, too. So it's not like this never happens. There's usually an inside linebacker that goes in the top 10. I'm just not sure if like, I'm Denver at number nine. Micah Parsons seems like it fits. He, he fits Denver's defense perfectly, what they were looking for. But I don't know. Are you willing to risk 
going in for that position at number nine in the top 10 when there's top cornerbacks on the you could have your pick of the top corners that's a tough decision right I don't know I, what do you think about the value of inside linebacker and making that call in the top 10 yeah well I think you know Devin White is the prime example that really changed my mind not necessarily on on the entire idea of it because again there's so many variables and you can't just say because one guy succeeded you can't use the exception to disprove the rule right so just because Devin White was successful at it doesn't mean it's always going to work out that way and I think You bring up Isaiah Simmons, and I think he's the perfect example that shows you why, when it doesn't work out, one of the biggest reasons why that is is because you have got to have a plan for that guy. You have got to, if you're going to get the most out of, if you're going to get top five, top ten value out of an inside linebacker, it's going to be, it's only going to happen if you have a plan to unleash that player in a way in which he can impact the game at that level, right? You're not just going to sit him off the ball and tell him to cover all day and make some run stops. And that's, that's it. You're going to have to send him after the quarterback. Devin white had nine sacks this year. That's why he's worth a top five pick in retrospect. Right. And, and be honest, Bruce Arians said that point blank. Jason light said that when they drafted him and idiots like me were like, huh, I don't know about that inside linebacker at five. I just don't see the positional value with our nerd class. Positional on, value. Right? That's the term I was looking for. Positional he value. He hated it, man. He was so mad about it. And, and that's because he knew his defense better than I did. He understood. Listen, we have got a plan for this guy. I got this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Todd Bowles. And he's really – really good at defensive coordinating and attacking opposing offenses with really, you know, bold concepts and, and, you know, complicated uh, looks and stuff like that. So they went into picking Devin white. They fell in in love with him very early in the process. I'll be honest. Like they, they identified him very quickly, knew he was probably going to be there. So they kind of zeroed in on him really quickly. And they did that because they knew, listen, we're going to deploy this particular player in a way that's not going to be the traditional inside linebacker. He's not going to do what people think is all that 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 position does, right? And obviously year one, he started slow because he had the knee injury, but he really picked it up, you know, down the stretch. Year two, he was voted a captain and absolutely went on a tear. Again, nine sacks for an inside linebacker and about 140 tackles, and he missed the last game of the season, too. So he was really pissed about that, by the way. He wanted 10 sacks. He wanted he wanted a buck 50 in the tackle column. He was pretty upset oh, about yeah. that. But, 100%. I mean, but again, the other side of that coin is a guy like Isaiah Simmons, who, again, incredible athlete, just like Devin White was, right? But the Cardinals did not have that plan for him. The Cardinals did not have a clear understanding of what they wanted him to do in that offense. Is he a safety? Is he a hybrid guy? Is he a linebacker? What are we going to, and, and I think that has contributed to the fact that Isaiah Simmons has been crickets, you know, was as a rookie. I mean, didn't really move the needle a whole lot. He had a couple of big plays here and there, but for the most part, if you compare what he did as a rookie to what Devin White has done over the last two years, it's not even close. Right. And I think in my opinion, both great athletes, both tons of potential, both very aggressive defenders, but guys that if, if you don't have a plan for how you're going to unleash those guys, it, it will make it not worth it to take that guy. So if I'm, if I'm Denver and I fall in love with a guy who, again, has that same athletic profile, big, athletic, physical, very smart, great instincts, he's got all those physical tools, that's great. But I better have a plan that looks a lot more like what the Tampa Bay did with Devin White than what Arizona did with Isaiah Simmons last year. All right, well, Packers fans waiting for the team to finally come up with an extension for Aaron Rodgers and keep the league MVP in Green Bay until he retires. Well, that didn't happen because uh, the quarterback was busy being the host of Jeopardy. We'll get to that thing coming up next. 
Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? <laughs> that is a great question. Should, should be should be correct, but uh, unfortunately for this uh, this game today, that's incorrect, and you're going to lose. <laughs> so, so there's Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy, Luke, and uh, well, I guess. Packers fans got a breather from all the contract extension talks and that mystery of what's going on with Rodgers and his future with Jordan Love and all that. Well, a little breather because we're, we're getting two weeks of uh, Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy, right? So that had to give you a, that had to make you laugh when you saw that thing pop up on uh, social media this week. Oh, it's glorious, right? I think that, it, you know, on one end, obviously you have all the Packers fans saying, can you please never bring that up ever again? Yeah, uh, and I think you could count Matt Lafleur in there too, right? Yeah. I think that he would love to never hear about that again. And I Tough think if you're decision. a Bucks fan, Tough decision. If right you're there. a Bucks fan, you are rolling, laughing, still being reminded of the fact that he took the ball away from Aaron Rodgers on fourth and goal. I, I you can say what you want about whether or not he should have run for it or thrown a different pass or made a better play. I don't. I still like my chances giving that guy one more shot from the eight yard line as opposed to telling that defense to stop Tom Brady with a couple of minutes left and not get let him get a couple first downs with Super Bowl on the line. Give me give me Aaron Rodgers one shot from from fourth and goal from the eight over over any of that. And Matt LaFleur fell victim to what I call um, Lane Kiffening himself, which is just overthinking the situation, plays over players instead of the other way around like it should be. And uh, much to uh, much to the delight of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have a Lombardi trophy to show for it now. So, oh man, just just great. And obviously, you know, kudos to Rodgers for the way he responded because he did it in a hilarious professional way, but still absolutely made it clear that he is still absolutely furious about that decision and, and is perfectly happy to deflect responsibility for it away from himself and toward the people who are actually responsible for it. He is petty as heck when it comes to it, and I am here for it. Oh, he's the master of that, right? No, he absolutely trolled his team. There's no doubt about it. He trolled his coach. He trolled his team. It was hilarious. It was. Uh, But one thing that's come out with all this Jeopardy stuff is how he wants to host the show full time. And I find this interesting now. He's a huge Jeopardy guy. He loves it. He's always loved it. He was on the celebrity Jeopardy thing. I get all that. But there's this quote that popped up on Packers Wire that I read. It's Roger saying, I don't think I need to give up football to do it. He's talking about doing this full time. They film 46 days a year. I worked 187 this year in Green Bay. That gives me, uh, and he pauses, 178 days to do Jeopardy. So I feel like I could fit 46 into that 178 and make it work. This is where I think Rodgers loses a lot of people, Luke, because as fans, we would like our franchise. We would like to think our franchise quarterback is eating, drinking, and breathing football all the time, not counting how many actual work days there are. I, I just think you it's hard to compare him to Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or anything people try to do, right? Because they are just psychotic in the football thing. And even Brady was talking about how he just needs to throw a spiral. He just can't. He can't help himself, right? He needs to throw a spiral. He's, he, he wants to do it right now. He's just a psychopath. And Rodgers is like, he's not a psycho. He's pragmatic. He's just not a crazy, on, on the mental side of it, he's just not a crazy, psychotic football guy. I, that's a stain on his legacy that I, for me, I can't wash it off. You know what I mean? Like, that's just one that it's going to stick with him. I, I don't disagree with the truth of that statement in terms of the people it will lose. But I don't, re- I don't really actually relate to, to that side of it. I, I think, and this is something I learned about, let's see, how long ago was this? It was about four years ago. I had a, an awesome opportunity uh, with the Wire Network. I flew out to Houston, Texas 
before that draft, a couple of weeks before that draft. And I got to spend an entire day with Miles Garrett um, leading up to that draft. We met out in College Station. Um, we, you know, he went through a couple of workouts for us. We, we walked around campus at Texas A&M and he introduced us to his, we told him he could bring whoever he wanted with him. And he brought literally like three childhood friends that he's known since he was like five. Yeah. And it was like, you could tell, like, those are his actual people, like his friends, man, that he's like been around his whole life. And like, I don't know, we ate dinner and we, we hung out and we, we spent so much time talking about you know, football, but also the stuff he really cared about. And he, the one thing that stuck with me that he was talking about is he was almost going to go to Ohio state just because of their paleontology program, because he is absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs. And to hear him talk about his love for all these other things, I left Houston that weekend saying, this guy's going to dominate the NFL for a decade and and disappear and never come back again. And I meant that in a, in a really positive way. When I, when I left, I I really had this idea that miles Garrett had had the right idea about football. He seemed like a guy who knew he was really gifted at it, knew he was going to be able to financially secure himself for the rest of his life because he was really good at it, but that he had a lot of other things he wanted to accomplish in his life that had nothing to do with football and that he wanted to remain focused and have energy poured into that. So that's a long way of telling you that, while I completely have total respect for guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, the fact that they eat, sleep and breathe this sport all the time and they have the record to show for it. I respect that because that's what they want to do. That's what, that's how they want to go about their work and they've been successful doing that. But then when I see a guy like Aaron Rodgers doing it his way and in a way that appears to be like, listen, when I go to work and I'm a quarterback, I'm going to do the best I can to be the best quarterback I can. But if I have 48 days out of the year where I can go host Jeopardy, damn it, I'm going to go do that too because that sounds awesome. And that's also a part of my life that I would love to explore and, and a, an experience that no one else could, you know, how many people would they be able to have that experience? It's something very unique. So yeah. I just, I see it from that perspective. I see it from the perspective that football is a game. It is, it is one aspect of a person's, you know, existence and personality. And I do think that for some people that is the only thing that they, that brings them that, you know, fulfillment and that joy. But I think for a lot of other people and Aaron Rodgers appears to be one of them, there's a lot of other things he wants to do and experience in this life. And I say more power to you. I, I think that he might be the most talented, physically talented quarterback we've ever seen in this sport. And the fact that he kind of is able to leverage that to do all these other cool things that he wants to do. I, I think that's fantastic. No, that's, that's great perspective right there. And you got to give me, I know that rant, maybe that rant was a little aggressive, but you got to give me, I mean, I've two decades. Of I Brady. know you still miss him, Ryan. Two decades I know you of still Brady, miss him. two decades of Brady, Luke. <laughs> I, I'm programmed. So th- that's where, that's where that thing came from. But is it fair to say, and I get everything you just said, I think you, you put it in a, in a really nice way. That was awesome. Would you agree that maybe Rogers just isn't obsessed with the legacy thing? Like Brady will tell you if there's a camera in front of him, he'll tell you that he doesn't care about his legacy and it's out of his control and that's for the media. But I think he cares. Um, I think he's always cared about his legacy. Maybe just maybe Rogers just isn't obsessed with being the goat, right? I mean, or or trying to be the goat. Maybe just that's just like part of his character. Like he just he doesn't think about his legacy and he doesn't want to be. You know, he doesn't want to be in that Rodgers or Brady discussion. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's just it's honestly just an example of humanity in general. And not to get too, you know, wax poetic on this, but like (laughs) every person is really different. man. I mean, every every person can look at the same situation and get something completely different out of it. And I think, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess. That's a terrible saying. But like, 
there's there there are so many different ways to to experience life and your job and what you want you know out of life and and how that fulfills you in different ways so I, I do think that maybe Aaron Rodgers is somebody and again we're talking about two quarterbacks that absolutely have a very similar draft day motivation story right obviously Brady's is a bit more significant but you know it was Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers who's going to go number one overall leading up to that draft right Right. And then he ends up falling nearly out of the first round. So that same type of motivation can do one of two things, right? I think with a guy like Brady, I think that has driven his entire obsession, right? I, I think that that from that moment on, he was he he decided whether in front of the camera or not, like you said, I'm going to show every last one of you, you know what, what you what you just did to yourself by letting me fall this far to the sixth round. And I think with Rogers, maybe it went the other way. Maybe he learned through that experience and maybe he learned through the first three years of, of sitting behind Favre and whatever, and you know, the reactions to whatever missed opportunities he's had to, to win championship games or whatever in green Bay. I don't know. You, maybe he learned and went the other way. Maybe he was like, you know what? Some people just aren't going to be satisfied. Some people just aren't going to get it. And some people are going to want things for me that I, I don't want to, or can't give them. So I'm just going to do what I'm going to do my way. And I think it's going to, it's going to pay off and it's going to be successful. And as long as, as long as it, I can go to bed at night knowing that I gave it my best and that I did it the way I wanted to do it. And if people are going to have a problem with that, they're just going to have a problem with that. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. I think that it's just, you have two very highly competitive, highly talented guys and just two very different ways of maybe reacting to a very similar, you know, slight or a very similar situation. I don't know which one's right and which one's wrong. I just think that again, people are people are very different in how they react to things. And I think both of those guys have had a lot of success to show for it. And I think the most important thing is just, you each person knows what's best for them, I think. And I think we need to kind of give people space to understand that there's no one right way to go about it. Yeah, right. We're all programmed a little differently, just like Tom Brady programmed me out here in New England like a crazy psycho football fan, just like he is yeah, a crazy and psycho I'm, football fan. And I'm fan. programmed to expect 30 interceptions a year <laughs> yeah, exactly. and you know, double-digit losses down here in Tampa. That's how we do it. That's Luke Eisling right there. Appreciate you and the knowledge, man. Catch him on the Bucks wire, on the draft wire, on the USA Today Network. Always good, man. Stay well, all right? Hey, you do the same, Ryan. Always a good time, buddy. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.